I can't stop thinking about the Bengal tea boy from yesterday's podcast. Man, it is such a trip to think about that you bring your own animosity with you so that you can challenge yourself and uh, it helps you grow. What a weird concept sometimes, but really, I mean, that's how we grow is through adversity. All these crazy challenges that pop up, you know, losing your mind, losing your ability to take care of yourself, uh, losing your sense of well-being, your sense of who you are. I mean, these things, seriously, the insane in the brain, it gets to be a challenging path. And, you know, other times it gets to be a lot easier when you kind of get the reins of it. But in the beginning, it is a lot like having a little Bengal T-boy running around, like constantly causing problems for you. So... I think that should be the new name for the little asshole in our heads. Uh, That's kind of the epilepsy part. That could be, think of epilepsy as your Bengal T-boy that you need there to help challenge you to become an even better, amazing version of yourself. And it's kind of like, like you said, it's the master that, can find all these flaws, all these things that we like have hidden from ourselves that we lie to ourselves about that we have been ignoring and that we need to learn how to address. And this is really the process of going from epilepsy hell to epilepsy well. And this is Alma Wayne Myers. Thanks for tuning in and here we go. Chapter 8. Compassion. In other traditions, demons are expelled externally. But in my tradition, demons are accepted with compassion. Machik Labdron. Just as nourishing our ability to love is a way to awaken bodhicitta, so also is nurturing our ability to feel compassion. Compassion however, is more emotionally challenging than loving-kindness because it involves the willingness to feel pain. It definitely requires the training of a warrior. For arousing compassion, the 19th century yogi Pachul Rinpoche suggested imagining beings in torment, an animal about to be slaughtered, a person awaiting execution, To make it more immediate, he recommended imagining ourselves in their place. Particularly painful is his image of a mother with no arms, watching as a raging river sweeps her child away. To contact the suffering of another being fully and directly is as painful as being in that woman's shoes. For most of us, even to consider such a thing is frightening. When we practice generating compassion, we can expect to experience our fear of pain. Compassion practice is daring. It involves learning to relax and allow ourselves to move gently towards what scares us. 
The trick to doing this is to stay with emotional distress without tightening into aversion, to let fear soften, soften us rather than harden into resistance. It can be difficult to even think about being in torment, let alone to act on their behalf. Recognizing this, we begin with a practice that is fairly easy. We cultivate bravery through making aspirations. We make the wish that all beings, including ourselves and those we dislike, be free of suffering and the root of suffering. We use the same seven-step aspiration practice to soften our hearts and also to become more honest and forgiving about when and how we shut down. Without justifying or condemning ourselves, we do the courageous work of opening to suffering. This can be the pain that comes when we put our up barriers or the pain of opening our heart to our own sorrow or that of another being. We learn as much about doing this from our failures as we do from our successes. In cultivating compassion, we draw from the wholeness of our experience, our suffering, our empathy, as well as our cruelty and terror. It has to be this way. Compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. As in the loving kindness practice, we start with we start the compassion practice where we are and then expand our capacity. We start by locating our current ability to be genuinely touched by suffering. We make a list of those who evoke a feeling of compassion. It might include your grandchild or your brother and our friend who is afraid of dying. Beings we see in the news or read about in a book, the point is simply to contact genuine compassion wherever we may find it. To start the formal compassion practice, we begin as before with a period of silent meditation. Then we begin the seven aspirations. Starting with ourselves, we make the traditional aspirations, may I be free of suffering and the root of suffering. In order for the process to feel genuine, we can put this onto our own words. It's important that the aspiration doesn't feel sentimental or contrived. Thick Nakhan suggests these alternatives. May I be safe and free from accidents. May I be free from anger, fear, and worries. May I not fall into a state of indifference or be caught in the extremes of craving and aversion. May I not be the victim of self-deception. After cultivating compassion for ourselves, we move on to someone on our list. May laboratory animals be free from suffering. May my teenage nephew free himself from heroin addiction. May my grandfather in the nursing home not be so lonely and afraid. The point is not to become overwhelmed, but simply to contact genuine compassion. 
The third step is visualizing a friend and cultivating the intention that he or she not have to suffer. This can be the formal aspiration that our friend be free of suffering and the roots of suffering. Or it can be something more specific. May Jack stop holding a grudge against his brother. May Maria be free of her unrelenting physical pain. Then we up the ante by moving on to the neutral people and those whom we dislike. The neutral people of the fourth stage present an interesting challenge. Many of us come to a point in practice and go numb. We say the aspiration but can't connect with people we don't know. We might be shocked to find how indifferent or even fearful we are towards so many people. Particularly, if we live in a city, there are thousands of people whom we ignore every day. For this reason, I find it particularly important to make aspirations for the so-called neutrals. When we look at someone on the street and wish her to be free of suffering, that person begins to come into focus. We can actually feel the barriers come down. By making this compassionate aspiration, we start to free ourselves from the prison of isolation and indifference. In the fifth stage, when we generate compassion for the difficult people in our lives, we get to see our prejudices and aversions even more clearly. It can feel completely unreasonable to make a compassionate wish for these irritating, belligerent people. To wish that those we dislike and fear would not suffer can feel like too big a leap. This is a good time to remember that when we harden our hearts against anyone, we hurt ourselves. The fear habit, the anger habit, the self-pity habit, all are strengthened and empowered when we continue to buy into them. The most compassionate thing we can do is to interrupt these habits. Instead of always pulling back, putting up walls, we can do something unpredictable and make a compassionate aspiration. We can visualize this difficult person's face and say his name as if it helps us. Then we say the words, may this person who irritates me be free of suffering and the roots of suffering. By doing this, we start to dissolve our fear. We make this gesture of compassion in order to unblock our ability to hear the cries of the world. The sixth stage is where we make a compassionate aspiration for ourselves. The loved one, the friend, the neutral, and the dif difficult one all together. This is how we train in lightening up the opinions and prejudices that set us apart from each other. We voice the aspiration that all of us equally be free of suffering and its causes. We then extend our wish further and further, wishing that all beings without exception be free of suffering and the root of suffering, wishing that all beings no longer be captured by their prejudices. As a result of compassion practice, we will start to have a deeper understanding of the roots of suffering. We may not we wish not only that our outer manifestations of suffering will decrease, but also that all of us could stop acting and thinking in ways that escalate ignorance and confusion. We aspire to be free of fixation and closed-mindedness. 
We wish to dissolve the myth that we are separate. It is said that all beings are predisposed to waking up and reaching out to others, and that this natural inclination can be nurtured. This is what we are doing when we make the aspirations. If we do not cultivate these inclinations, however, they will diminish. Bodhicitta is like a yeast that never loses potency. Anytime we add the moisture and warmth of compassion, it will automatically expand. If we keep it in the freezer, however, nothing happens. I find it particularly helpful to take the compassionate aspirations into the marketplace. I like to do these practices right in the midst of this paradoxical, unpredictable world. In this way, I work with my intention, but I also begin to act. In traditional terms, this is cultivating both the aspiration and the action levels of bodhicitta. Sometimes this is the only way to make the practice feel relevant to the suffering we continually witness. Standing in the checkout line, I might notice the defiant teenager in front of me and make the aspiration, may he be free of suffering and its causes. In the elevator with a stranger, I might notice her shoes, her hands, the expressions on her face. I contemplate the fact that, just like me, she doesn't want stress in her life. Just like me, she has worries. Through our hopes and fears, our pleasures and pains, we are deeply interconnected. I do this sort of thing in all kinds of situations. At the breakfast table, in the meditation hall, at the dentist's office. When I practice the aspirations on the spot, I no longer feel so separated from others. When I read in the news that someone I don't know was in a car crash, I try not to just pass on to the next article. I generate compassion for her and her family as she were my best friend. Even more challenging is to make these aspirations for someone who has been violent towards others. The aspiration practice of the four qualities are training and not holding back, training and seeing our biases and not feeding them. Gradually, we will get the hang of going beyond our fears of feeling pain. This is what it takes to become involved with the sorrows of the world, to extend love and compassion, joy and equanimity to everyone, no exceptions. A teacher once told me that if I wanted lasting happiness, the only way to get it was to step out of my cocoon. When I asked her how to bring happiness to others, she said, same instruction. This is the reason that I work with these aspiration practices. The best way to serve ourselves is to love and care for others. These are powerful tools for dissolving the barriers that perpetuate not just our own unhappiness, but the suffering of all beings. You may have heard the term shadow worker. And those of you who do not know, I qualify as a shadow worker, and you do too. So epilepsy, living with epilepsy, there's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of torture, torment, and it reaches a point where we have to understand why. What it is that's causing all this pain, this torment, this 
difficulty for us to love ourselves, to feel love, to give love. I mean, this is the discovering of compassion for our own suffering. And it takes this work, it takes this love of ourself to be able to say, this situation sucks. I don't deserve this, but I'm going to make the best of it and find a way to have an amazing life where I can love myself, I can let other people love me, and I can also return that love to other people. So um, it's really about, again, just taking a moment to understand that most people don't experience epilepsy. So when we're freaking out, when we're having our brain meltdowns, our overloads, you know, it looks like temper tantrums and, you know, all these other issues that somebody without epilepsy, you would totally be a dickhead for behaving that way. So, and it's not like we're supposed to be like, oh, I'm a dickhead because I got epilepsy and I'm freaking out and I'm yelling at everybody or I'm crying insatiably or I can't remember how to do anything or nothing ever gets done. Like, yeah, don't, don't beat yourself up about the process of learning and growing. You'd be like, all right, I don't know how to do this yet. I forgot how to do this. Whatever the problem is, because I mean, seriously, it's hard to remember stuff with epilepsy. It's just one of these things. Your long-term memory works a little better than your short-term memory. But if you work on it, if you love yourself, if you take care of yourself, if you treat yourself with the compassion that you deserve, and then you're able to transfer that over to your care providers, your friends, your family, all these people that don't understand what's going on. And all they can do is think about how terrifying it is to watch you go through this. And oftentimes people try to stop us from uh, doing anything because they're concerned that um, we're going to hurt ourselves and it's hard for them to watch. And I, I understand this because there's been plenty of times it's difficult for me to watch people self-destruct. You know, you want to be able to help them. You want to be able to guide them out of whatever these self-destructive behaviors are, whether it's drug addiction, which I dealt with drugs in my 20s. I mean, my dad found drugs, uh, you know, probably when I was like four or five. Probably, And that was, you know, the end of our relationship, pretty much. Like, he found drugs. And we never really had a real healthy relationship with him. It didn't turn into him looking for a codependent enabler. So um, my mother and father are both narcissists. And honestly, I have a really hard time um, with my own um, love and compassion towards them. I mean, I do love them. I appreciate everything. But at the same time, like they have been some of the biggest reasons why I had to become me. And I do have to thank them for being my Bengal T-boy all the time. Like, seriously, if it wasn't for my family rarely ever being on my side, I wouldn't have had to go figure out how to do everything on my own. I wouldn't have had the strength that I needed to, you know, be a martial arts expert, to be a master of acupuncture and herbology. Like, you know, I joined the military and I went to train and had a, you know, 
be a military person. There's a lot of stuff going on there. You think uh, it's a lot more to it than just holding a gun and shooting at people. So these are the things like even in the aspect is one of these things is I wouldn't really want to go back into the army. I wouldn't really want to have to kill somebody over like political gain and, you know, economic advance and, you know, the, the whole stupid, whatever, big brother policy. We've got our fingers in everything. So again, it's kind of like another Bengal T-boy. Everybody's just constantly being insulted because you're not part of the system you're not part of what's going on and you just gotta not take it personally could you imagine if you didn't have the answers if you hadn't gone through certain things that gave you your own personal experiences like you have to understand people come from different places and they haven't all done the work required to get to wherever it is that you're at in your life and your levels of compassion and your understandings of who you are who you want to be and what you're capable of. I mean, we are all capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. And our mindsets are often holding us back. And it's the lack of compassion for our ourselves. You know, we beat ourselves up because, you know, we're lonely, we're hungry, we're tired, we're confused. We want something. It's all some kind of desire to help fill that emptiness that void that needs to be filled with the compassion and love for yourself because you've been taught not to love yourself and that is where you need to start start by loving yourself find what's wrong with you and make it your armor make it your tool like i am insane in the brain i tell this to everybody insane in the brain and loving it you know i mean this is it is what it is I don't have control over when I'm going to have an overload from my conversations or the way that people talk to me. Or if I start getting yelled at, like my brain's going to go sideways. And it's not like, oh, I got to stop having compassion for these people. I got to find ways to protect myself from this. And again, it's like the Bengal T-boy. You got to get used to these things that irritate you, your own flaws, your own things that you think think are your weaknesses that are actually your strengths because nobody else except for the one in 26 are dealing with the problems on this level and i try treat a lot of patients i've dealt with a lot of illnesses and diseases as an acupuncturist and i'm telling you i've been through a lot of stuff i mean i have slipped a disc i had to fix myself doing yoga and meditation in my 20s um and I had dealt with migraines for four years where I was going to my master's degree. I mean, almost four years. I, I got rid of them by the end of that um, through better concentration on what I was doing. But for the most part, I wasn't giving myself the love I needed. I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I did the same thing when I went into business and I was trying to help everybody else. Like I was trying to help everybody else and I had the compassion for them and what they were going through. But I forgot to have compassion for myself. I forgot to stop and say, hey, look, I need to take care of myself because there's a problem here. And I got confused about what to do because when I had meningitis and nobody knew that I had meningitis, I mean, I thought I had mono, the doctors were calling me crazy. I feel like crap. I'm like literally freezing 
at 100 degrees. I'm wearing a scarf and earmuffs. I mean, I was like seriously freezing to my core. And, you know, I, I had to address these things. I had to stop putting other people, uh, their feelings ahead of mine. I had to stop putting their opinions of me ahead of me and stop letting it, you know, have, you know, value because honestly, you know, our value comes just from the act of existing. You are valuable just because you are alive. Life is precious. And you have to love the fact that you are alive and have this opportunity. Because if you don't, then you are kind of going to be on this realm of a roller coaster that you're constantly going to be out of control. You're constantly going to feel like you are at the mercy of people, places, and things in your life. And that is a level of sanity. Insanity. Level of insanity that is so hard to get out of. So you got to start with first, yes, this little asshole in my head, this Bengal T-boy. He's going to keep checking me, tapping me on the shoulder. Every time I think I'm going to get too cocky, every time I'm going to get too uppity, every time I think that I can pretend like it's not there, that like I've mastered everything. And all of a sudden, like that Bengal T-boy is going to tap you on the shoulder, be like, oh, yeah, you got to worry about this. Hey, what about this? What about that? And, you know, you got to understand this is a learning process and the learning curve can be steep which is why we're working on epilepsy secrets the how to live with epilepsy so we are still planning on doing this seven day challenge we're moving forward on june 21st so i'm trying to get the website up i'm talking to adriel about it and what we're doing um so hopefully by the end of this week i can have something up more something planned so that we can move forward and you know i'll figure out the rest of the offers later i mean that's been a lot of my problem is like i want to be able to offer you amazing all this stuff i see this great future of of help and services but i'm one man i've got a small team and i'm working on building it and it takes time you know like Many of you, I'm epileptic. You know, I live with epilepsy. I don't take drugs. I smoke some pot and it helps, but all in all, only a couple strains help me. Otherwise, they're going to leave me messed up for hours and days and whatever. And that's not what I'm after. I, and you shouldn't be either. It's not an escape. It's not a way to avoid dealing with reality. It's a way to get back into the body, to calm the brain and be able to move forward with life, to find compassion for the experience. Cause I mean, it's a little hard to be in love with yourself when you know you did something, you know, that you shouldn't have and it triggered a seizure and now you're messed up for a little while and you can't function. But this is where we learn, we grow, we give ourselves the compassion and understanding to make mistakes and learn from them. Because that is how you become an expert at your life, is you go make as many experiences as you can. And when you make mistakes, you learn from them. You don't like, oh, I messed up. I'm no good. No, man, everybody starts off at bottom, ground zero. We all start off as babies, and we got to learn how to walk. 
we start off crawling, you know, when we walk, we fall down, we spend so much time trying to figure out how to walk, and at no point does anyone around you say, ah, man, you've been trying to walk for months, you're never going to get it, you got to give up, that's not how it works, you got to keep trying, and then you're walking, the next thing you know, you're running and your parents can't keep up with you and no one else can unless they're on your level. So this is the whole process. This is about growing up, becoming the best version of yourself, loving yourself and being able to share that love with others and receive that love from others. It is so important to be able to find these places and be able to communicate with them with other people because we are all in some form of suffering. We all have things going on that are out of our control, that we wish were a little different, but it's how we address them. You know, we turn these pain points into our growth opportunities, and that's what it is. So I'm challenging you to make that little a hole in your head that little Bengal tea boy, give him the opportunity to help you learn compassion for yourself. Stop and say, hey, why did I have a seizure and what can I do about it as opposed to what can I force other people to do about it? And that's the art of compassion because you want to control yourself. You can't control other people. You can only show them a better way, which is what I'm trying to do for you. I'm trying to show you that there is a better way for you to live. There's a better way for you to enjoy your life. And it can be full of love. It can be full of value. It can be full of compassion. So make sure you take care of yourself like you matter because you do.